So pleased that you could join us for this episode of Caring for Animals and Creating Trust. My name is Tim Hamrich, and I'll be your guide as we explore the leadership that's taking place throughout animal agriculture. Today's episode is kind of like insurance. It's information that is absolutely critical for everyone in animal agriculture to have, but it's something that I hope you'll never need. But hope is not a strategy, as they say. We're talking today about crisis management. If you don't have a written and practiced crisis management plan, not only do you need to listen to this episode, you might want to take some notes. And even if you do have one, I'm sure you'll be able to refine it after listening to our two guests here today. We have on the show Jane Dukes, who's a senior account manager on the veterinary and consumer affairs team at Merck Animal Health. Jane worked for McDonald's and its agencies in Hawaii and San Francisco before the company asked her to come home for her to the Midwest. She worked for Morgan Myers in the farm-to-table space before joining Merck. Also on the show is Hannah Thompson-Weeman, the Vice President of Communications at the Animal Agriculture Alliance. The Alliance is a nonprofit with a mission of bridging the communication gap between farm and fork. She got her start in crisis management as an intern in Charleston, Orwig, and then did her graduate thesis on crisis communications planning for the Maryland dairy industry. I thought a good place to start our episode here today is just asking Jane Dukes to frame up the conversation by defining what exactly is a crisis. Sure, a crisis is an unexpected event that happens that we weren't anticipating that generally has a beginning, a middle, and an end, unlike an issue that you might manage. So perhaps you're planning to expand your farm operation and you get a lot of pushback from your community. That's something you have to manage for a long period of time. But a crisis generally has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And oftentimes you're making decisions during the crisis without all the information you might need to make those decisions. Now, events that can be considered a crisis are not new. What is somewhat new, though, are some of the ways a crisis can quickly spiral out of control if you're not prepared for it. Hannah and the team at Animal Ag Alliance have certainly seen this happen. Well, the advent of social media and its rise in popularity, it's really a double-edged sword. Uh, I mean, it allows us and farmers and ranchers an easier avenue to get to the end consumer, but it also allows some of those more adversarial voices to do the exact same thing and make a very small percentage of the population sound very loud and add a lot of fuel to the fire of crisis situations. You know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, you might be worried about your local media covering an issue, but now it could be anyone with a smartphone. Uh, blowing up a crisis and making it a bigger scenario that your organization or company or farm has to deal with. And it is certainly, you know, growing as there's more and more conversation about the food chain and more interest in the way we raise animals for food. Again, that can be a great thing for us. It gives us an opportunity to have conversations. But unfortunately, there are more and more people and organizations waiting in the wings to take advantage of that gap from farm to fork to depict a version of animal agriculture that we would wouldn't agree with. Right. And blowing up today means something different than it did 20 years ago. It's been over the course of the last 20 years that there have been more and more on-farm undercover videos. But with the advent of social media, something could happen on your farm in Kansas, and all of a sudden someone around the globe in Italy is commenting on it. Now, we can't all predict every crisis. I think 2020 has been a great example of this. However, there are some simple and very practical steps we can take to prepare. I think that they can very easily pull together their farm management team, or it might also be a veterinarian because the veterinarians often play a very important role 
in an on-farm crisis, but pull together your farm management team, your family, and simply make a list of all the things that you think might happen and then do a simple risk ranking exercise. So determine, you know, on a sign of value, a score to the likelihood that that might happen on your farm, and then go through those same scenarios and score them again with the impact it would have on your farm or your vet clinic. And then you multiply the likelihood by the impact to get a rating, a score, an overall score. And you can very quickly determine the top three crises that could occur on your operation, and then you can prepare for those. Um, Truly, in the heat of the moment, if something happens and you aren't prepared, valuable time is lost that could have all been managed in advance so that you're simply implementing a plan that you already put in place. And that is a big challenge. And and I say this quite frequently speaking, especially over the past few years when the dairy industry has been going through such tough economic times and also been in the crosshairs of activism. And I absolutely hate having to stand in front of producers and say, here's one more thing that you have to worry about. But the unfortunate reality is that if your supply chain involves animals in 2020, these issues are things that you have to think about and you have to plan for. And going back to what I mentioned that I did my master's thesis on crisis communication planning, I surveyed everyone who was licensed to handle fluid milk in the state of Ohio about whether I went to Ohio State, about whether they had a crisis communication plan, what was the importance of it. And my thought going into it was that the bigger the company, the more likely they were to have a plan. And that was actually wrong. There were large companies that didn't have plans and there were small family businesses that did. And the common thread was they've actually gone through a crisis before. And the organizations that had gone through a crisis said, of course, we have a plan. It's one of the most important things. We're so glad we have one now. We did it before, but now we do. And some of the larger companies, it didn't have anything at all because they hadn't had to navigate one of these issues before. But again, that was one of the common threads was that if you had faced a crisis, you absolutely had a plan and it was integral to your business. uh, And it can really save you just as Jane mentioned, it's all about buying you time. Um, No, you're not going to be able to plan and prepare for every single scenario, but at least going through these exercises and having some drafts, it's going to buy you those precious few hours to really figure out what you have to do to deal with the situation at hand. And again, there's so many anecdotes, as Jane mentioned, of if you've gone through one of these nightmare scenarios, you really see the value of actually thinking through and buying yourself some of that time. Sure. And I would echo that when I do workshops, I could be in a room with 200 farmers and veterinarians. And I ask the question, how many of you have a crisis plan? If one or two people raise their hand and say, we do, that would be pretty typical because most of the time nobody does. But what I try to help people understand is that when the crisis happens, you will be in shock. It truly is a physical thing. You will be in shock. I've had a heifer producer talk about how he had 900 phone calls a day, that the activists tracked down his children at college. They went to his place of worship. So when this is all happening and you're being exposed in your community and you're a good farmer and this has never happened to you, and now on top of that, you're trying to make decisions about how am I going to handle this? How am I going to secure my property? What am I going to tell my co-op or my processor? What about the big brand that's at the other end of the supply chain? You know, if your farm supplies a big brand, then all the more reason to have a crisis plan in place because that makes you more susceptible to a crisis. 
And your contacts at that brand need to be part of managing the crisis and part of your planning. And you need to have those contacts at the ready because that is 100% a trend that we've seen at the Alliance. Activists almost won't release an undercover video unless they can tie it to a household name brand. They know there's a lot of media fatigue and thing around these videos. In recent years, they would maybe get some local coverage and quickly go away unless they can connect it to a brand that people know and really try to rile people up to boycott or to call the brand and things like that. So those household name brands are huge and you need to know who to pick up the phone and call at that brand because the last thing you want to be doing is if activists are at the end of your road or you get an email is looking for someone's phone number, Um, you know, calling us at the Alliance, calling your co-op, calling your state association. You need to have those at the ready and make sure you're continually updating because the most frustrating thing is going to be when you email someone for help and you get an out of office reply that they're no longer in their role. So that's the type of thing that this planning does is make sure you have those resources at the ready and they're updated and you can really lean on them so that you don't have to spend the mental energy and time getting someone's phone number right, those really basic things in this type of heat of the moment scenario. Right. I I often tell farmers, you know, farmers feel like that they are the sole focus, but they really aren't the sole focus. They're the means to an end. So, you know, activists know that by leaning on a big brand, they can overnight change the supply chain policies for on-farm practices and protocols. So the farmer is not the target. The farmer is a means to the end. Also, the other thing I I always like to tell them, the easiest thing you can do is to update that key context list. And I have also been in scenarios where we had a listeria outbreak. We were dealing with two state departments of ag. We were trying to figure out what was going on, you know, and what was happening. And at the moment that we determined that we had to do a recall, of a product that was in high-end grocery stores across the country, we said, okay, where's your key context list? And they didn't have one that was up to date. So then we had to stop to put that key context list together. And it's really, like I said, something you can do when times are calm that's so easy. So if you do nothing else, update your key context list. Okay, I hope you're creating a checklist of these very practical tips, things such as create a plan, assemble your core team, and update your key contacts list. There are more tips like this to come, so keep uh, jotting those down. But at a high level, one of the biggest pitfalls here that people run into, both inside animal ag and outside, is the fallacy that a crisis won't happen to me. And I think a lot of us, I think Jane alluded to this earlier, maybe you did, Tim, but we always want to think it's not going to happen to us. This is somebody else is dealing with this. It's not going to be something that happens to me. But, you know, the heartbreaking reality, uh, looking over the past few years of examples, is it could really happen to any one of us. That's always our, our recommendation is, you know, the number one thing is to be beyond reproach and let's not give any vulnerabilities. Let's make sure we're doing all the right things when it comes to animal care and the environment and being a good neighbor. But you can be doing all of those things and be the model of those things. And, and that actually will probably make you more of a target. Because again, they want to damage the reputation of the industry as a whole. So I think that's been a big wake up call. And, you know, unfortunately, at the Alliance, we see as industries get targeted, it really wakes that industry up. So last year, we heard a lot from dairy about wanting us to come speak and wanting us to help because they saw that as, you know, if that can happen to them, it can happen to me. And this year, pork has been a major target of activist groups. So very similar. We're hearing a lot of conversations there. Well, if it happened to them, it could happen to me. Uh, So, you know, that has to be our mindset. We can't think that we're insulated. And even if you're in the middle of nowhere, that's another thing we hear is, well, that's happening on the coast. I'm fine. 
that's not the case. It's happening everywhere. All these little examples of issues that people are dealing with. So again, if animals are in your supply chain or your business relies on animal agriculture in one way or another, uh, you really have to think through these crisis situations. And even if it's not an activist issue, even if it's a natural disaster, like that can blow up. It can be something the media, it can be something activist groups take advantage of, truck accidents. You know, again, anything that might happen to you, you need to think about how it could be used uh, against you in a bigger way and start preparing for that. And of course, we've already shared some of the ways you can prepare, one of which was assembling your team. But keep in mind, that goes beyond just the full-time employees of your business. And it may involve some training and exercises to make sure everyone is both individually and collectively prepared. I think one of the most important things you can do right off the bat is once you've determined what those top three crisis scenarios are, is to determine who your core response team will be. Who are those people that you want around you in the heat of the moment, helping you make decisions on what to do next? And your response team for a herd health outbreak or concern might be different than the response team for an undercover challenge or an on-farm fatality or a manure spill. So you want to think through who are those people that you want on your team closest to you to help you make those initial decisions. Now, as the crisis unfolds, you might have to add other folks to your team. As Hannah pointed out, you might have to add people from the cooperative or the processor or the packer or the brand. But initially, you need a small core team that includes a key decision maker, your attorney. Farmers hate to hear that, but you need your attorney, a communications professional, your veterinarian, your herdsman, a member of the family that you trust. Because again, when a crisis strikes, you're in shock and it becomes very challenging to make those decisions. You also need to think through, again, what are the scenarios? So just like Jane mentioned earlier, whatever those top three scenarios are that come to the top, actually prepare materials for those. Have a media response. What would you put on your website? What are you going to put on your social media? If people call you, what are you going to say? So go ahead and script out, draft out all of those things and have them approved by all the right people. So that way, again, you're ready to go. You're going to have to adapt them and specify them to whatever the situation is, but you've at least already drafted them and you have a start. And we always say too, you know, think through these scenarios and then send the five most senior people in the room out and do it again, because the crisis is going to happen when your CEO is on a transatlantic flight and can't answer and can't be part of the process. So you need to be empowered and already have thought through what to do so that you can react more quickly. So go ahead. And again, what are you going to put on your farm's Facebook page? Or what are you going to say if someone calls your vet clinic and asks about this issue? Go ahead and think through and script out and draft all of those things things. So you have it ready to go if you need to use it. And then who will be responsible for all those things? Who will be responsible for talking to your employees? Who will be responsible for talking to your stakeholders, to your customers? Who will be responsible for answering the phone? And do they know what to say? Who will your spokesperson be? And what will they say when called? And will you grant interviews or will you only issue a statement? You know, these are all decisions that you can make in advance so that when it happens, you're just ticking down a list of things that you know you need to do. Media training is also something that you can and should do in advance and refresh continuously. So once you've identified who might need to talk to media, get them media trained. Make sure they are totally comfortable, especially with contentious conversations. So media training is another component that you can do really anytime and it's evergreen. And then that person is ready to go and confident and you can spend less time briefing them when they need to talk to media because they already have those skills developed. 
Now, a lot of this relates to issues with activism or unwanted media attention, but it's important to keep in mind that these principles apply to all types of crisis situations. I mean, just in the last week as we're recording this, wildfires forced evacuations on the West Coast, while Hurricane Sally made landfall in the Southeast. A crisis management plan is relevant to these types of situations as well. You know, we have these fires on the West Coast every year, and every year it gets worse. So moving a large animal or a herd of large animals, you know, what comes to my mind when I think about California are the horses from all the ranches that they're trying to move. And you would be looking at moving them over a state line. You're, you're moving them to another state. So make arrangements in advance for how you will transport those animals and where you're going to transport them to. Same thing with a hurricane. You know, often you can't move a herd or we have, you know, down here in the Southeast, we have a lot of poultry operations. You can't move a flock of chickens. But what are you going to do? Can you move them to higher ground at least? And you have a plan in place for where that's going to be and, and how you're going to transport them and then how you're going to get food and water to them. Oftentimes, your animals might be able to shelter in place, but the power is knocked out and now you have no water. So how, what is the plan for getting water? How will you get water to those animals? Oftentimes, I know they will fill up a dairy tanker with water and that's how they get the animals water, but you have to plan that in advance. And those preparations, they can make great stories for building trust because people want to know that you're doing the right thing to take care of your animals. And again, that narrative can be out there from other voices that farmers aren't taking those precautions and aren't thinking these things through in advance. So in addition to being, you know, the right thing to do for your animals and your business, being able to tell that story to the media and on your social media can also be really powerful. And some of our members in North Carolina have done a really great job of that over the past few years when there have been storms there with a lot of flooding that have caused a lot of damage to farms. And they've been able to explain the way that their members and producers uh, stepped up in advance and made sure they were ready for this and took precautions and took preparations underway. And those can be, you know, great stories. So a crisis doesn't have to be a bad thing necessarily. You know, if you can demonstrate the way that you reacted to it responsibly and did the right thing, a crisis can strengthen your brand and reputation. We've talked a lot about the negative and the those things, but you know, stepping up and being ready can both help you again business-wise, but also help strengthen your reputation because you can explain the way that you did the right thing and took those measures and it helped you in the end. One often overlooked way to be ready in the unfortunate case that a crisis hits you is by auditing your property to make sure that it's secure. It is often overlooked, and I talk about that a lot. And in advance, you can think about where the vulnerabilities are to your property. Not that we're trying to hide anything, but in the heat of the moment, when you're handling a crisis, you don't have time to also manage those onlookers. So think about where folks can get onto your operation and maybe you have to post somebody at the end of the lane to turn them away. It's, it's always important to know what the laws are wherever you live in terms of public property, but whatever you can do to secure your barns and secure your property so that you are dealing with the crisis at hand and not what the onlookers is important. 
Yeah. And not even just, you know, spectators who might just be, you know, looky-loos and want to see what they can see. But again, there are those groups that want to take advantage of these issues. And we frequently see that they don't let the crisis happen and go away. They want to prolong it. So they want to come back and protest or trespass or do any of those sorts of things. So you do, and even again, not in times of crisis, but anytime you need to take steps to make your property, as we say, and in the security field, a harder target. So fencing, gates, locks, actually lock your locks, lock your doors, keypads, motion sensor lighting, cameras, no trespassing signage. All of those things are things that you need to implement, again, to make sure you are taking those steps to protect yourself. It is not about having things to hide. It's not about not being transparent. It's about being aware that, again, unfortunately, we are up against people who want to come onto our properties without the best intentions in mind. They can introduce biosecurity challenges, as well as put themselves and you and your property and your livelihood, your livestock and poultry at risk. So those security measures are important anytime, but especially in a crisis can mean that you need to be extra vigilant and careful. And people coming on your property for false pretenses, somebody might call and say that they're a student, they just want to ask a few questions, but they're not. We've had people, again, try to take advantage of crises. I mentioned flooding after storms before. Activists have posed as being with FEMA and gone to farms and said, we need to see that flooding in order to you know, get your indemnities paid. And they weren't. They were just activists wanting to get pictures of that type of damage. So unfortunately, people will come along and try to take advantage of you when you are vulnerable and in those tough situations. So that security aspect has to be really top of mind. And I think as part of that, one of our concrete recommendations is as you're making that contact list that Jane talked about earlier, law enforcement has to be part of that. And we recommend having a conversation with local law enforcement, again, before there's an issue, just have them come out have them see your property the way it's laid out, have them answer questions about what you should do in certain situations. Again, that's important for activists, but also just a natural disaster. If somebody's hurt on your property, the fact that they know the layout and they know you can help them respond so much more quickly. So that's another recommendation that we have for farmers, ranchers, really anyone is to have that conversation with law enforcement so you know who to call and they have some background if there is an issue. I hope it's coming across how many details need to be dealt with if a crisis hits. A big takeaway here, I think, is that you want to figure out as many of these details as possible before you find yourself in a situation like this. One additional point to think about is how you're going to manage the flow of information in a crisis, especially in the event that you don't yet have all the facts. Well, Tim, oftentimes you do have to release information before you have all the facts, and then you have to update the information as more facts roll in. That's all part of managing the crisis. I think that as you pull together your core response team, then you have to make a decision. Part of managing that flow is to decide when you'll engage and communicate. So for instance, sometimes you might have a fire. Let's just use a fire as an example, a fire in a barn And so you called your response team, we've got a fire, we aren't sure what's happened, we don't know if we've lost any animals or people, but then you determined that the fire was confined to the barn and so nobody was hurt and the animals are safe, now you don't have to execute your plan. Other times, as is with an undercover video challenge, you might get a call to say that there is a video, but you don't know where the video is, who has the video or what's on the video. So sometimes you stay in a holding pattern to determine when the best time will be to respond until you can get your eyes on that video to see exactly what's on it. 
Well, we've packed this episode as full as possible with helpful tips, but I'm sure you still have questions about effectively planning for a crisis and executing that plan. The good news is that there are helpful resources available for you. Checkoff groups are a huge resource, so we really recommend uh, pretty much all of your state and national checkoff organizations have crisis planning resources. A lot of them do tabletop exercises, which is another big thing that we recommend is getting involved with those. So you actually go through a potential scenario and figure out what to do and get feedback on it. So your state and national checkoff that covers your commodity would be one big recommendation that we would make. We also have resources at the Alliance, so Animal Ag Alliance. Org. We have a resource center. You can browse what's public. We have way more resources available to our members. So if you're affiliated with a member or if your company or organization is a member, you can get access to that password protected resource center where we have a wealth of security, crisis, all those type of resources. So animalagalliance.org. Uh, if you're not sure if you're a member, any of those type of things, you can certainly reach out to us, but you can browse what's public in our resource center and blog uh, and get some resources resources there. And of course, we're always happy to talk through different situations and provide resources as things arise. Sure. And like I always like to say, it's a lot easier to start with words on a page that you can then modify to fit your own operation than it is to start with a blank page. So we encourage all farmers, ranchers, veterinarians to utilize those resources and then customize them to make them their own. Last but not least, remember that the industry is here to help and support you with this. We hope that this podcast will be just an early step in the development of your crisis management plan. I would just emphasize that you are not alone. I think that can be really daunting if you do face some of these issues. Maybe you feel like you did something wrong and that's why you're being targeted or like you have to bear this quietly or you don't have resources. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. A lot of the groups we've talked about, companies like Merck, your co-op, your integrator, your processor, they want to help you check off organizations, groups like Farm Bureau, obviously the Alliance, you know, we want to help you. We say frequently, we wish we didn't have to to exist. But as long as these issues are here and they exist, we are going to be here and we have your back. Uh, so thinking about these things can be, it can feel a little negative. Again, it can be daunting or feel like you're on your own out there dealing with this, but you are not. There are resources here. You are never bothering us. We want to help you. We want to support you. So if you're intrigued by something we've talked about today, again, don't hesitate to reach out to us or some of the other groups or organizations we've talked about because we are all here to support you, support the food chain and we want to help. So don't hesitate to make that call. Sure. And I would say the same thing at Merck. We really believe that our commitment to our customers extends beyond the products that we sell and, and we're here to help them too. And the last thing I would say is to expect the unexpected. It's easier to prepare when cool heads prevail than it is in the heat of the moment. Wow. Great episode today. Thanks so much to Jane Dukes at Merck Animal Health and Hannah thompson Weeman from the Animal Agriculture Alliance. I think we're able to share some fantastic insights, tips, and resources on this important topic. We appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Caring for Animals and Creating Trust. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show on your favorite podcast player. You should be able to find us anywhere, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. We'll be back very soon with more examples of leadership in animal agriculture. Mm-hmm.